This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Well, welcome back. This is episode four on the uh, Lyme series that we're doing. This is going to be on treatments and therapies. And today, I want to talk about the traditional way that Lyme disease is tested, and then if found to be positive, how is it treated? For those of you who've already been infected, you're probably very familiar with this course I'm going to go through. For those of you who have not been infected, or if you have a loved one who's dealing with Lyme disease, then hopefully this will give you a picture to try to understand all the confusion that is associated with this disease. And then the results that some do get and then why some never get any good results or never recover from this. So Lyme disease traditional testing, there seems to be a lot of confusion about it. And so the real thing is that what they're trying to do with the testing is to prove, is it there or is it not? Do you have traditional Lyme's or do you have something else? So for some doctors, Lyme disease is one of the last things that they even look for, either due to their lack of knowledge or the lack of experience of treating uh, Lyme disease, or just they don't know that it's, it's there or they, they're living in a different part of the country where it's normally not found. And yet we know that Lyme disease is found in all 50 states in the United States and in European countries and all over the place. And this, as we talked about in previous episodes, this thing has been around for a long time. So there's even more confusion about what treatments are beneficial and then which ones are not. So believe it or not, there is significant controversy in uh, Lyme research, medical treatment, alternative treatments, and even in public policy regarding Lyme disease. Say it isn't so. Say it isn't so. And so this is sometimes referred to as the Lyme Wars. That's a real, <laughs> a real concept. So let me introduce a couple different things or mention a couple different things about the two different standards or types of evaluation and treatment of Lyme disease. The two different standards have very different uh, divergent or significant divergent ideas and approaches as to the best way to uh, diagnose or evaluate and diagnose and treat Lyme disease. In my opinion, this double standard makes it very difficult for patients to be properly evaluated, properly tested, properly diagnosed, and to find out what is the best treatment for their, their individual or unique aspect of this disease. So, for example, it's been said that the Infectious Disease Society of America or the IDSA, regards Lyme disease as a hard-to-catch and yet easy-to-cure disease using a very short course of antibiotics. Well, for those of you who have been through that route, you know that's probably not the best way to do that. Contrast to that, then, the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, or what we refer to as ILADS, regards Lyme disease as something that's often difficult to diagnose, and to treat, resulting in persistent infection in many different patients. So ILADS recommends the individualized treatment be based on the severity of the symptoms, the presence of a tick-borne co-infection, and the patient's response to any treatment. So what they're saying is you must have identified a 
tick or have evidence that you did have a tick. That's how they're still associating that with that. What I do like about ILADS is that it supports the doctor's freedom to treat and the patient's right to choose the best treatment options available without any bureaucratic uh, interference. We believe it's the doctor's primary duty to put the patient first, and that specific outside interference may restrict a doctor's ability to provide the most optimal care. And we want to have the ability to provide real health care for our clients and our patients and be allowed to prescribe the best possible treatments without interference from any insurance company or any other bureaucracy. In other words, we want to have uh, results-based health care. We want to make sure that what we're delivering truly gets results, not just following some script or some plan or some guideline, all right? So let's talk about testing. First of all, if you do have the bullseye rash and you have saved the tick, right, then testing can be, can be done to perform what is called a culture for the bacteria or a polymerase chain reaction, PCR test, for the detection of the Borrelia from a skin biopsy or from any type of blood specimen. Most of the time, that's not available because most people don't realize they even have it till days later, or they, if they did find the tick, they, they got rid of it. And so that's a very hard one to do, all right? Therefore, the most common first test is what's called the ELISA test. This is an enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay test. And now, since uh, 2019, they actually even allow what's called an EIA test, which is an enzyme immunoassay, or what's been around since the 90s is an IFA, which is an immunofluorescence assay, and those tests can now be used as a secondary backup. The, this, the ELISA tests are designed to be very sensitive, meaning that almost everyone with Lyme disease and some people who don't even have Lyme disease will test positive. And we talked about that on a previous episode, how some of the other uh, effects of co-infections will give a false positive to this test. All right? If the ELISA is negative, it's highly unlikely that the person has a form of what we call Lyme disease, and they say that no further testing is recommended. However, if the ELISA test is positive or indeterminate, or sometimes you'll see it's equivocal, right, then a second step should be performed to confirm the results. So then the second step is the Western blot, or what is now more commonly referred to as the immunoblot test. Used appropriately, this test is designed to be specific, meaning it will usually be positive only if a person has truly been infected. If the Western blot or the blot is negative, it suggests that the first test was a false positive, which can occur for several different reasons, and we talked about those in previous episodes. If it is positive, it will identify a specific either IgM, which is the immunoglobulin, or IgG bands. Now, the number of band identification is very important and very significant, as well as to the number of bands identified. So for those of you that have looked into this or understand this, you know, there's the one that says you must have five or six out of 10 bands. Uh, another one says you must have more than 10 bands for its positive. Some saying even though you have the primary band, if it's not associated with two or three other bands, then it's still a false negative test or false positive test, all right? Here's the thing that we do understand about it. Patients who are positive by IgM but not IgG should have the test repeated a few weeks later if they remain ill because the IgM is produced fairly early in the course of the infection while the IgG response comes later. All right? And some of these are affected in how the body or where the bacteria goes in the body as some of the other doctors discussed in a previous episode. However, if they are still positive only by the IgM and have been ill longer than one month, then it's likely a false negative, I'm excuse me, a false positive finding. So we're not done, so hang on. <laughs> there are a few other considerations that, that have to be taken into account. There are the, what's called the variable lipoprotein surface exposed proteins, 
or the VLSE test. And then there's even what's called the outer surface proteins that combine with a complement of either C4B or C6. Now, all this stuff can be confusing, right? But here's what's even more important. There are cross-reacting antibodies that either give false positive or false negative results. And if the doctor is not aware how to interpret those test results, then there will continue to be confusion not only in the treatment, but in the health outcome. And we talked about that on a previous episode as well, is what are the outcomes, what's going to happen. So finally, with the two different standards and the CDC trying to set up a nationwide standard for positive immunoblock results, they are making several different assumptions, like that all strains of the Lyme bacteria will provoke a similar immune response in all patients. And that all patients who have been exposed will mount a measurable immune response when exposed to the bacteria. And that the Ig immune response will persist in an infected patient or not. You see the confusion that we have with all trying to understand all this? Unfortunately, none of these is always true. So even though we talk about standard guidelines and things that have to be done or checked to figure out whether do you have Lyme's? Do you not have Lyme's? Do you have the associated Lyme's disease or do you have a late stage Lyme's disease, right? We as patients, we as clients, we as people, we don't care. What's the old saying? We're sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? We want to find answers. We're tired of hiding in our bedrooms. We're tired of not being understood. We're tired of, you know, feeling like people think it's all in our head and we want to see some results, right? So now let's talk about the traditional Lyme treatment. The most common first course of treatment is what is called the antibiotic therapy course, right? There is the initial oral-based approach. And then there's, a, for even more people with more developed cases, there's the IV-based approach. And then there are even multiple types of variations of medicines used. However, the ideal antibiotics, the root administration, and the duration of treatment of persistent Lyme disease are not universally established. And I'm kind of glad about that because it means we're not just dumping people into, well, you have the disease. Here's the protocol. Oh, sorry, you didn't get well. You know, you didn't fit the protocol. No single antibiotic or combination of antibiotics appears to be capable of completely eradicating the infection and treatment failures or relapses reported with all current regimens, although they are less common with the early aggressive treatment. So there is one caveat that if you find it quickly and you get aggressive treatment really quick, in theory, you can reduce the potent latent effects of Lyme disease. So we have found that doing very specific evaluations, we can generally find specific, unique treatment protocols that are effective for each individual person. Now, Dr. Kaisen is going to go to go further into discussing that aspect. So, Dr. Kaisen. Yeah. So any doctor is probably going to be only as good as the questions he asks. As doctors, we are detectives. And the more questions that we ask, the more we can get down to the root cause of things. So I remember hearing Dr. Bowers always say, I'm like a two-year-old asking why, 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 why? Why not why? <laughs> why not? So, and the reason for that is, is incessant questioning is, okay, so I got an answer, but why did I get that answer? Okay, I got this answer, but why did I get that answer? So the more questions we can ask, the more information we can gather. This is why doctors go through and they order imaging, they order labs. They try to gather as much information as they can to figure out what's going on. And this has led us to do some other type of adjunctive testing. And so it allows us to come through and ask questions in a different way. So doing a form of kinesiology or muscle testing, which this isn't what we consider a diagnostic test. So this is, I'm going to do this test and go, hey, I have diagnosed you, you have this. We're not doing that. 
What we're doing is we're trying to find a way to ascertain more information about your body and what's going on to help us figure out what's going on. So I, I love laboratory testing for the fact that it is a, an accepted uh, medium of answers across the board. So when somebody comes across with, hey, I have this, this, and this wrong, but why? Because we're asking why again. Okay, great. So doctors can say, well, you have high cholesterol, but why? Well, we're just going to put you on statin, but why? What's the actual issue? What's driving that? So as we see that, I want to go back and say, okay, you're having this issue here on the blood work. I don't think statin may be the correct option there because something went wrong. Your body's creating more cholesterol. Is there inflammation? What's going on there with it? What do we need to go help to fix that? So you can go through and change laboratory testing by giving people certain things to offset that, make the labs look great. And the patient comes in and goes, yeah, but doc, I still don't feel good. You're like, okay, well, here's an antidepressant. You know, because it's all in your head, psychosomatic. And that's kind of where a lot of these people come into. And, you know, it's kind of funny the first few times I heard it, but it's so prevalent that it's just kind of like, this is what I hear. Well, we try this. It didn't work. Well, then you go to this route. You'll feel better about it, even though you're falling apart. So it's almost as if we're going to wait till it gets bad enough that we can do something else surgery, you know, something else that we can actually go through and do that. Or send you to a different specialist. Or yeah, send you to a different specialist or something else. And so it's like, let's get the questions there that we need. And so one of the things that I found interesting to me, because I was a functional medicine doctor, my approach was always through laboratory testing, and I got some great results for people. I got some great results on the lab work for people, and yet those people still didn't feel good, which was frustrating to me because I didn't prescribe antidepressants. So... You know, it's like, okay, what do I do? Even for myself, trying to treat myself, figure out what happens, you know. And it wasn't until somebody that knew about kinesiology that went through his testing and said, you know, you have some some issues with Lyme. I go, yeah, but I really didn't show up my my lab work or anything. Oh, yeah, well, you need to try to treat this. And here's some things to try and do that stuff. And, you know, here I'd been a doctor several years. I'm going, wow, that changed my life. It felt like my brain opened up and I could think clearly again. I'm like, is this what it's like for everybody else all the time? I mean, it was just like, it was mind-blowing. I've been missing this for decades of my life. And we'll get into that a little bit more in my story here in the next episode. But okay, I said, well, this worked for me. Maybe I should learn some of this stuff and see how I can go help other people. And so it's led me down this process of learning different types of uh, adjunctive testing. One of the big ones that we talk about here is SRT or somatic resonance testing. So somatic resonance testing is a, it's an offshoot of several other different types of kinesiology. This is the one I came up with, and I've added in different uh, things that I've learned to try to create it. And this is what we specialize in here at Desire Life Center is somatic resonance testing. Somatic means the body. Resonance is the vibrational frequency of the body. And testing means yes or no. Did we get an answer to something? So as we're going through and we're learning how to do some of this kinesiology or this testing methodology, what it does allows us to go through and frequency match not a diagnostic test, according to what is accepted by most people. But we do get answers that allow us to kind of start looking down. All these things are pointing down this pathway here. So we can go through with different frequency test kits and look at different types of Lyme, different types of co-infections. We can look at all these other things, ammonia, parasites, whatever else that's there that we need to address. Because a lot of these things don't necessarily show up on the lab work. And so if you're only treating to the paper the patient's going to be lost. And so we have to have better ways to ask questions. I like to be able to go through and confirm things through the lab work and then go through and find things that don't necessarily show up in there because that's what we're missing. That's what people are coming to us for is because 
Every other doctor wasn't able to ask these specific questions to get the answers to figure out what they need. And, and, and the first side of half the coin is that you got to find it. Now, the tricky part is the second half of the coin is, well, how do you treat it? How do you go about it? What's right for the person? So not only can we go through and find the frequencies of what are going on there, but we actually go through and test out and find what are the best treatments that the body can handle appropriately. And if there are issues, what else do we need to bring in conjunction with that to allow the body to process? So if I'm going to go after Lyme disease and I have a remedy there that I'm going to use for that and they start showing toxicity with it, well, then that tells me that I need to come up with something to go with it. So we have several different sorts of things to detoxify the body with it to make it a, I call it a more complete remedy. It's an elegant solution, as we say. So it not only just addresses the Lyme or a parasite or whatever it is, but it's also whatever else it needs to be able to help that flush that out of the body and to get it out of the system here. So we're not just kill, kill, kill. It's Kill, remove the body, get it out of the system, clean the body up and heal it and allow it to, to function better. So we're trying to do all these things at once. And so sometimes our remedies are, are very not singular focused. They're focused on multiple aspects of the same thing that need to be addressed at the same time. So in the morning, we're treating Lyme. Well, with that, you need some sort of detox with it. You need something that's going to stimulate the liver. You're going to have to have these different things that play along with it, depending on where the Lyme is. Well, is it in your joints? That may be a whole different thing. If it's in your brain, that's a whole different thing. If it's in your gut, we may have to treat it completely differently. So it's depending on exactly and precisely what your body needs as far as what we're trying to put together to help you not only clear that out, but to go through and be able to eradicate it and to build the immune system with it. And sometimes that we can even go through and look at the priority of things saying, okay, well, there is Lyme there, but the body's not ready for me to come after that yet. I need to clean a few other things up first. And so it's putting things in the right order to get the best results. I, I kind of talk about, I said, we have a train here and the engine is pulling it and then we're going down the road. What order do I put things in on that train? So everything flows. So we get to our destination with everything still intact on the train. So and part of this uh, laboratory or this uh, testing that we use is SRT allows us to go through and use frequencies, which there's a lot of research out there. And I could do a whole episode on it. I may do it in the future just on SRT and the science and everything behind it. But there's just a lot of uh, other books out there that kind of talk about some of the uh, energy medicine, things like that, and and how you do all that. And we'll talk about that in more uh, depth here. But um, a couple of books there, uh, Energy Medicine by James Oshman. He really goes through and digs into all the scientific studies and the physics and everything else. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you're just going to have a blast reading it. If you're not, it's going to put you to sleep very well at night. So there's another one that uh, by Susan Levy, she wrote a book called Your Body Can Talk. And she discusses how we use some of the different hand modes and things like this to actually go through and frequencies to test things out and, and find what's going on. So the other benefit of this testing is it allows us to go through and test not just your body, but we can also test when the urine comes out, what's coming out in the urine, what's going on here, the toxins, there's things there. Sometimes we find Lyme things that come out in the urine that we're not quite picking up in the body as well. Or when we do a detox foot bath, well, what, what's coming out of the body here? What is it there that we're dealing with saliva and things like that? So we can go through and do all these different energetic testing things that kind of give us more answers in addition to our traditional laboratory testing. And the cool thing is when we go through and we address it with our approach, we can go back to laboratory testing and not only change the laboratory testing to the correct guidelines, not just in the normal range, but in the optimal range. And the best part of all this is the patient feels better too. And so it's getting those three things where 
we can actually get it working well where the body is functioning at a very high level. The patient feels great about their life and everything's going well and they're staying on top of their game and even the labs come back and prove it. And so everybody's happy no matter what field of health they're in. They can look and go, yeah, that's that's a good test. That works good. The patient's going, yeah, hey, I feel great. Things are going good. And me as a doctor going, yes. <laughs> great Success. Yeah. I mean, I love it. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next episode as well. So. We'll be right next. Oh, you're next. All right. So like uh, Dr. Kyson was saying, you know, we do a lot of co-treatment or, you know, multi-system treatment when we're doing this, where we're making our remedies. And a lot of times we're both attacking what's causing the issue and we're trying to clean up the effects of the issue at the same time. And a big part of that is detoxification. Now, whenever you think of detoxification, um, it's kind of an easy way to think about it is the same way as the trash in your house. So when you think about the trash in your house, there's actually four primary phases that it goes through to get that not only out of the house, but off your property. So the first is putting the trash and waste inside the trash cans in the rooms. Because if you just leave it all over the floor and the counters and everything, it's going to be a mess. So you try to contain it in the trash cans. So the second step is going to be taking it from all the individual trash cans inside the house and taking it to the big garbage can outside the house. So it's not in your house making a mess. So <clears throat> this is actually really important because... <clears throat> You know, you don't want to have a big mess in your house, but when you actually get to the next step where you're taking it from the garbage can or you're taking the garbage can out to the curb so it's not hiding behind your house anymore, it's actually out on the curb and ready for someone to pick it up and take it away. Now, my wife and I actually just uh, moved into a house this last weekend, and the first time for trash to be picked up was this morning. Thankfully, they brought over some trash cans last night so we could actually fill them up because we had a lot of trash bags and a lot of boxes and stuff building up behind our house. So <laughs> it's very good to, um, you know, make sure all these processes are working the same way or in working properly. Right. So from that, once you get it to the curb, the uh, sanitation engineers come and take that off your pro off your property and then they take it to the dump. So there are all these different phases that we have to go through to get that trash not only out of your house, but out of your property and out of your life, really. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to use, uh, use that analogy when we're talking about detoxification because detoxification goes through three primary phases. So the first part is going to be at a cellular level. Now, we're going to basically consider the cell to be your house. So the first two processes of taking all the different trash, putting it in the individual trash cans, and then taking it out into the large garbage can outside is all kind of one phase as far as detoxification goes. So the goal is not to pull out toxins from the cell. Because if you think about it, at a cellular level, we have no ability to really pull stuff out of it. Our goal with our treatment is to build up the cell, to strengthen it, to give it the energy it needs to be able to expel that on its own. And that ties into what we were talking about last time. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Craig mentioned that in our last episode, where our goal is to remove interferences and allow the body to heal itself. Because, you know, I've heard Dr. Kyson say this many times, the greatest doctor in the world can't heal a paper cut. 
It can support it. It can speed up the process, but it can't actually do what needs to be done to heal that paper cut. So what we do as doctors and more importantly as healers, because that's our focus is to bring healing, is to try to remove those restrictions, remove those interferences, to remove what's keeping your body from healing the way it's supposed to, the way it's created to. So that is a big part of our focus at the cellular level when we're trying to detox is, first of all, we're, it helps to remove the sores. So when we're killing off the infection, we're killing off the inflammation or you know man managing all that, that decreases what's coming into the cell or what's coming into the house and causing destruction. So then once we get that control or in the process, we can bring some of that junk out. And, you know, as we create, um, we strengthen the cell barrier or the membrane. So if we can strengthen that, that less is going to actually be getting into the cell or getting into the house and causing destruction. And then if we can increase energy production, so in terms of a household, this would be basically getting the people inside to be disciplined enough to bring the the trash out, right? So it's the same way. If we can get the enough energy going in the cell, it will do what it needs to to expel or remove those toxicities on its own. And then from that point, it goes on to the next phase. Um, <clears throat> but at in our office, we have a few ways of going about this. So one of the big ways is our beamer mat or the PEMF. Um, that's pulsed electromagnetic field, and it's also known as high energy inductive therapy. So what this does is it creates an electromagnetic field. It's a mat that you lay on, and that will stimulate the energy production at a cellular level, interacting with the mitochondria, making sure it's ramping up that energy conversion process, and that uh, helps with healing and regenerating the cell. And also, when we're doing that over the whole body, it helps balance the body's interconnected systems, helps them communicate better, and to help all of these processes work together in a more efficient, uh, in a more efficient way. Another thing too is it'll enhance your natural recovery processes, and this is a great thing even for uh, post-workout recovery. Um, so, Dr. Kreis, I know you've been doing a lot of uh, personal training. Have you been using the Beamer mat afterwards? <laughs> Not as much as I should. Not as much as you should. <laughs> okay. Well, that's about to change, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another thing is we have a couple ways to use lasers and uh, red light to also stimulate it. Now, basically, they do the same effects, but instead of using electromagnetic field, we're using photonic or light energy to interact with that mitochondria. We also talked in a previous episode about the H-bots, the hyperbaric chambers, um, to force oxygen in. So another good thing, if we are able to expand our clinic and bring one of those in later on, we'll add one of those in. And that will also help stimulate the energy production because of how oxygen is needed for that energy conversion process. So <clears throat> one of the most important things to think about is healing or health really starts at a cellular level. You know, Dr. Bowers has said this for years and years and years. Healing starts at a cellular level and um, healthy cells are a foundational part of a healthy life. So once we get the cells healthy and we get all the junk out, it goes into the lymphatic system. And I'll let Dr. Craig take it away from there. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so... The lymphatics is not so much of an active component. It's interesting how you talked about the um, 
the cell function. You know, it's really when the cell isn't functioning right that we get the detox or the toxicity issue. With lymphatics, there is an aspect where there is an active component where the white blood cells are actually attacking, like you talked about, within the lymphatic system itself. The lymph drainage itself, primarily those, is a passive. It's an open system. Yeah, it, it's an open system, but it's also passive. Uh, as these toxins are are cr- passed across the membrane, which is interesting because part of this goes back into that whole nitrogen comp or nitrogen oxide issue. If we don't have enough of that, it doesn't even get into the lymphatic system to be eliminated. What's also important, though, is in order for the lymphatic fluid to move, like the veins, you need movement. And what's the very first thing we talked about in Lyme disease? You get joint pain, which means you move less, which means we have less lymphatic fluid movement. And now we start to create a problem. You got the trash out in the can, but nobody wants to take it out. The wheels have come off. It's kind of gotten buried down into the ground. We can't get that thing to move. Or eventually you don't even take it out. You just throw it over in the corner. Right. And that's yeah. what happens yeah. in late stage. Right. right. What ha- and what, and that's what, yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's one thing I was going to talk about is as the lymphatic uh, pathways get congested and clogged up, there's this backlog and it starts to push back. And even if the cells are functioning, right, you get so much in that interstitial space, they can't do anything with it. So... That's a, a very important component. So one of the most important things that is involved in lymphatic function is movement. So a couple of things that we we have in our office currently uh, that can help with that is we have a vibe plate, which basically does a couple of things. One is it directly shakes it to get it to move that way. Plus, you also have the reactionary uh, muscular contractions in, in response to the vibration that can help uh, pump that and move that along as well. As was mentioned, you have the HBOT, which has a barometric pressure uh, on the tissues that can then help push it along as well. And then one of the things we also hope at some point to have too is as sauna. You know, that lymphatic fluid is really thick and sticky. And if it gets congested, it just becomes more and more gelatinous. Sauna can help liquefy that, break it down, get it to move. Plus, you also get the additional benefit <clears throat> of creating sweat, which starts to expel some of that through the skin itself. So, so the interesting thing about that is we talk about flotility versus motility. So we're going to give you motility <laughs> on the vibe plate and all these other factors. But then through SRT and through these other treatment protocols, we're going to find what creates flotility. Right. We're going to get that stuff flowing so you can get that motion, that movement to get it going. Well, that's part of what we even combine together is both the motion with the vibe plate and you get a double benefit that works really well. Yeah, so one of the things about the vibe plates that's nice is because we just got done talking about neuroline in our last episode is people feel unstable and things like that. So even with the vibe plate, we can sometimes just have you sit on the vibe plate and it's smooth enough that it's not going to be – there's power plates and other things which are a little more violent, which I don't care for. I like the vibe plates a little smoother. We can change the dial up to find the right frequency of the vibration that works best for you. So sometimes we have people sit in a chair. Sometimes they just sit down on there and they can just relax and allow that to kind of work through their body and get some things moving. So even if you are challenged neurologically, the, these are things that we can still use to help benefit you without – challenging you too much. But on the other side of it is sometimes we can actually use this to stimulate that neurology a little bit more to get that firing, get that moving a little bit more, to get a little bit more of that neurological control again and to kind of remind the body of some of that muscle memory it used to have. And so there's some different things that we can do with that, which I, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of that than I thought it was when I brought it in because of some of the things we've been able to do with that. 
Okay. So individual, unique, elaborate treatment protocols. <laughs> well, I had a patient last week that he's his biggest issue is he's dealing with a balance issue, and he would not have been able to tolerate standing, but we put him in a chair. And it's interesting, over time, over the week, he was able to tolerate more and more, and we could see how it was starting to help and aid in his detoxification. His foot bath started changing with it as well. So it's that's what I love about our clinic is we don't have this one-size-fits-all. We uniquely – customize an elegant solution for each individual patient. So yeah, it's that's so the lymphatic is basically as we talked about it's it's removing that trash from the can to the curb which then takes us to the last place where Dr. Lou's going to finish it off. Yeah. So the big big take home here from this episode really is we really want to make sure our detox pathways are open and flowing, right? Uh, primary way in which we do this is how well are are we using the bathroom specifically? Uh, how well do you poop? <laughs> right. So we're going to have a little bit of a crappy conversation here. So um, not only how well you poop, how well you pee, how well are you breathing, and are you sweating? Right. Um, I'm going to credit Dr. Ben and, and Dr. Kyson on this one. Um, that I learned when I was in school is you know a lot of you folks may have heard uh, you are what you eat. And that's only a partial truth. In reality, you are what you digest, absorb, and assimilate. And digestion means that you actually... And eliminate. Have, and, what you don't eliminate. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and <clears throat> digestion being the physical process of actually breaking down that food, absorption being that those nutrients crossing the gut lining, and then assimilation is that specific molecule going on to be whatever it's going to go be created to be, whether that's a new cell wall, new hormone, uh, immunoglobulin, whatever. Therefore, uh, we really need to work on improving digestion, make sure uh, that process is, you know, going as well as it can right out of the gate, or at least get, you know, going in the right direction on that. So a lot of times, uh, digestive enzymes, probiotics, uh, helping support phases zero through three of uh, gut or excuse me, liver detox, and then gallbladder support as well. So a really good litmus test for this is how well are you going to the bathroom again? What are your bowel movements look like? So real quick, one of the things we go over with all of our patients is, first of all, we need to be at least going one to two times a day. Uh, we want those bowel movements to be sinkers, not floaters. We want it to be at the bottom of the toilet there. We want them to be formed in, in one nice long piece, if possible. And we want it not to be fragmented or, or broken up into smaller pieces or, or let alone loose or watery-like. Um, we don't want to <laughs> always laugh when I talk about this part, you don't want it to be super foul smelling. Like if you're knocking yourself out or, or that wing of the house is closed, <laughs> you might want to talk to us. You have a nice <laughs> candle collection. That's right. Um, you want it to be a nice medium brown color. Any changes in that, you know, if it's too dark, um, or tarry, there could be some infectious process going on there. Uh, yellow, um, could be a trouble with our, our bile flow there, or again, more infectious processes coming into play. And then lastly, we want it to be relatively clean, right? If it feels like you're wiping a marker again, <laughs> probably not a good thing. Exactly. Uh, but so, Dr. Luke, in, in the middle of all <clears throat> that is we're going to see some of those things transitioning of course. as we're treating these, these patients, clients, and that's kind of the expected thing. If we're doing something we don't see change, then, okay, wait a minute, something's still not working right. We have to back up further. As Dr. Akash was saying, we got to get your body ready to get well or right. to go to war. So uh, That's exactly right because if that process isn't working well, and again, we're not digesting, absorbing, and assimilating, then is what we're giving the patient actually getting working and getting into the system like we need it to 
Uh, another thing that, so that's a gut side of things. Um, I mentioned earlier phases zero through three of liver detox. Uh, I want to run through that really quickly. You know, phase zero is when the toxin is actually entering into the liver. Phase one is when it, it's a fat soluble form. And this is where it's undergoing, um, basically a, a breakdown process to go to phase two, where it's basically being converted from a fat soluble form to a water soluble form. And phase three is when it finally exits the liver and is going to go either to the kidneys, to the urine, or from the gallbladder to the bile, to the gut, to, to the stool. Uh, things to help support that process, and again, this isn't for everyone, but we do check, like, do we need B vitamin support? Glutathione support is another huge one for that. Uh, amino acids, making sure, again, we're getting enough protein in our diet, actually able to break down that protein from a digestive standpoint, and choline as well. And another thing, actually, that uh, I want to credit Dr. Kyson for recently is um, specifically for lymphatic flow within the liver is beef liver concentrate has been excellent for lymphatic flow. So uh, can't take credit for it. I just, <laughs> I just found it and it worked well for me. So. <laughs> uh, and then the next part is, you know, I, I do want to tie that back to the last episode where we were talking about retox or enterohepatic recirculation which is um, basically those toxins aren't being eliminated via phase three in the liver detox. They're basically being recirculated back into the liver and it's essentially a hamster on a wheel going round and round. Again, everything is coming into the house, but nothing's leaving. So we definitely don't want that. And then if you've ever had another thing I want you to pay attention to is if you've, you or loved ones ever had a cholecystectomy or you've had your gallbladder taken out, then you definitely need some form of digestive support for the rest of your life. So that's definitely an important one that we want to address right out of the gate. Uh, we've kind of mentioned binders in the last episode in our uh, Neurolime episode. Again, binders can be really good in an acute situation or if there's a flare up and we need to just knock something down real quick to take that toxic load down. But uh, I don't think any one of us use that in a chronic situation. So... And then one of the therapies I do want to highlight in our office is we do use ionic foot baths or a detox foot bath. Um, and yes, they do work contrary to what your Google search might show. So, <clears throat> and <laughs> exactly. And, and a note on that is a really, you know, quick way to, to show how that works is when you do a detox foot bath, you're pulling both good and bad. So if you're not replenishing the good on the back end of that treatment, the patient's definitely going to feel that. And so you definitely want to cover your bases and make sure that if you do a detox foot bath, make sure that your provider is getting you the right electrolytes and minerals afterwards to replenish your body so that you don't feel like you've just been thrown under the bus. So detox foot bath, a huge one that we use there. Um, a real quick story on that. I have to say, uh, this is one of my favorite stories of how uh, there was big time patient buy-in and kind of the light clicked. Um, they're very skeptical as a husband and a wife coming in and um, we do complimentary foot baths, uh, after our consultations and the wife was a patient of mine and the husband was a little skeptical. So we both had him do the foot bath at the same time. And the wife's foot bath was pretty par for the course. I mean, we had a lot of toxins and, and, you know, parasites come out and, and, uh, bacteria and so forth and so on. It was a nice brownish coloration and the husband, you know, same, same machine, same magnets and, and electricity current going through. And his was a jet black. So if it's just the magnet or the electricity that's turning at the same color, why did it not, why was it not the same color for both of them? And so 
uh, he ended up booking with us the next week. <laughs> he was really full of it. Then, wasn't he, he was. <laughs> he was. So it was super cool. So uh, another therapy that we actually don't have in office, but that we do refer back and forth uh, a lot. Shout out to Nikki at Tallgrass Spa who does a lot with the uh, colonics or the colon hydrotherapy, which is basically a water enema. And uh, she'll be the first to tell you that um, if you do uh, colonic hydrotherapy with her, um, she pulls a lot more out of the bowels if patients are already working with us prior to going to her. So um, that's another quick way to, to continue. And we'll talk about that more, I'm sure, in the parasites series as well later on down the road. But yep. So, um, yeah, that's a tremendous benefit for, for both her and, and our clinic. Uh, and before I close, you know, gentlemen, do you have anything else to add before I close this out here? Well, Dr. Bowers has always talked about there's four ways into the body and four ways out. So as I look around the room here, I look at four, five guys, Jason cross table here. We are all an accumulation of something that we have acquired or eaten or absorbed or not gotten rid of. So we are essentially what we put into our body. So it's what is the good stuff we need to put in and how do we get the bad stuff out and, and focus on that. So quit putting good stuff in and losing or put, quit putting bad <laughs> stuff in and put, letting good stuff leave. So we need to switch that around there. So it's, it's very important. So you want to elaborate a little bit on the four ways in and out? Yeah, real quick. Like, I mean, you think about it, there's only four ways in. And so we talk about the three most common is you swallow right? So you, something goes in your mouth and then you breathe and then you absorb through your skin. The fourth way is that you break a barrier. And so the first three barriers are the same, your digestive barrier, your pulmonary barrier, your skin barrier. And then the fourth way is the blood brain barrier. And so we were referencing that last week, I mean, last time on the neurotransmitter side, the four ways out, you defecate should be one to three times a day. You urinate should be five to eight times a day. You sweat should be up to 2000 times a day and you breathe approximately 24,000 times out. So there's only two systems that are very similar in the in and out. That's your skin and your pulmonary or your breathing, all right? You cannot breathe in and breathe out at the same time. Your skin cannot absorb and excrete at the same time. They go through different portals. Otherwise, what comes in here has to come out the other end, all right? And so there's only six steps in between to make it work, and we kind of go through those in detail later on. But that's really what we're looking at. If you don't have digestibility, digestion, absorbability, absorp absorption, assimilability, assimilation, you are dysfunctional. And that's what we're here to find out. Yeah, and some of us hear that in our sleep at night, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, yeah. So, yeah, I'd rather have, have it stuck in there than not. So a fun part about what we do, and since we are docera Life Center, docera means to teach, instruct, or point out, we really like to uh, talk about this in the room. So not only are you getting this a podcast, but this is very similar to the approach we have in the room as we're walking through things and we're finding things we like to instruct and teach because ownership of your health is so important. It's not just, I went to the doctor, he told me to take this for that. Well, why are you doing this? I don't know. He just told me to. No, no. I want you to be able to understand what we're trying to accomplish, what the goals are. Here are the things that may come up. You know, if you always tell people what could go wrong, you're a genius. If you don't tell them, you're an idiot. So if I can tell you, here's what may happen. Here's based upon what we've seen clinically. You may go through a little bit of rough patch here. If you do, here's how we address that. And so we like to teach about 
everything in the room with you for you walk out, not just feeling confident and hopeful, but you have some level of education about your life and your health. So when people ask you what's going on, you can speak confidently of it and understand, or at least the concept. You may not send every single biochemistry phase and reaction that happens, but you can at least understand the concepts of what is going on and what we're trying to do, what we're trying to address and how these things are limiting you from living your best life. And the goals of us and you working as, I always jokingly say that I'm just the coach. You own the team. You're the boss. I just give you the best advice I can because I can't actually make you do anything. But if I educate you, I show you the path. I show you the victories we've got, the other people, and give you hope we can get you through there. So a lot of what we do, even outside of just giving you remedies or figuring what's wrong, is teaching and educating you for you understand what's going on in your health, which I think is vitally important. That's why I named the clinic Docera. Because we want to teach, we want to point out, we want to instruct you on life. I think that's an important point in healthcare too, because I think healthcare of old was I go to the doctor, the doctor gets me well. Uh, today it's more, and what, especially what, what we want in our office is you're responsible for your well being. Because if you're not responsible, you're a victim. And victimhood doesn't work well for any of us. So that's one of the biggest reasons we want to teach people is so that they can take responsibility for their well-being. We want to empower and encourage and exactly. how you do that. That's right. exactly right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, very well said, guys. Um, and lastly, I, I'll have a little bit more of an elegant close for next episode as I get the <laughs> honor once again. But um, I do want to highlight, at least in this episode, as we're talking about you know different treatments and modalities and whatnot, that it is entirely unique to the patient that's before us, right? So please exercise caution. Um, you know, don't take this and, and run with it. These are meant to highlight what we do at our office, okay? So this is going to be unique uh, case by case for what you need specifically. So uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about victories over Lyme, success, and testimonials, and uh, we'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.